Well, hello once again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Radical Humanity. My name is Ben Hoover, and I presently operate as a licensed marriage and family therapist. (laughs) That's kind of a weird way to put it. I operate heavy machinery. Um... No, I uh, so I currently do light, uh, marriage and family therapy work, and uh, I love getting to do this on the side. This is my, uh, just my uh, forum to sort of unravel my thoughts, perspectives on life, and uh, in, in verbal form, and kind of see where I end up. So um, now on this episode, this is the third uh, part in this eight-part series that I'm doing. And this series, once again, just a refresher, is on this section uh, in the ancient scriptures where Jesus talks about, uh, it's called the Beatitudes. And it's this, this sequence, as I like to call it, the sequence of experiences, states, actions, events, that we go through uh, on an internal level that change us, that convert us, that move us into a grounded, connected, genuine way of living in the world. <clears throat> and so, so each statement that Jesus makes in this sequence, in this progressive sequence, <laughs> is uh, uh, to me very profound and rich and uh, has been, uh, I've, I've devoted... Uh, time writing this out for myself, exploring what this could possibly mean. So I give this disclaimer of, look, this isn't gospel that I'm talking, like, in, in terms of my perspective. These are my thoughts. This is the way I see it. This is what it works for me. It could probably change uh, uh, throughout life. I might have moments in the years to come where I'm like, ah, yeah, okay, that. let's add that. There's a, there's a continual dis, uh, distillation process uh, of understanding this, of, of working out life. I think life, again, is, um, it, I want to approach it with questions than trying to just have an answer. So this whole uh, podcast for me, and this series in particular, is an exploration. I don't have a firm grasp. <laughs> you know, I just don't. Um, that, that ruptured years ago. So anyway, um, so this, this is this third episode, third part in the sequence. And again, just a little background. The first part was poor in spirit, where we, um, begin to, we experience meaninglessness in, um, in the objects, including people, um, in the sense that we've given them this meaning we've glorified them, that they're going to be the cure to this inner loneliness, this lack um, that has gone on in our lives and began when we were kids and weren't properly cared for, um, navigated, helping us to understand. Our parents are the sources of connection to help us connect to ourselves. But when that goes awry, uh, we live lives with this inner lack, this inner gap. And then we feel like we need to uh, fill it, and then and so we create 
um, in our minds this these fantasies, these uh, this illusion that these objects are the cure to it, that something in the external realm is going to cure something inside of ourselves. <clears throat> but that's the paradox is actually it won't. Um, the paradox is actually when we go into the loneliness and care for the lack, something in that transforms us. Um, so I don't think it even necessarily entirely disappears, but there's still, there's, we can engage with it, interact with it. We don't fear it. We don't run away. We're not consumed, um, with this idea that we need to consume things to create satisfaction, to create certainty. Um, so it's actually, uh, antithetical. It's, it's, uh, counter to who we are as humans, which is, we're wired to seek, to explore, to engage, to interact, to to um, uh, to feel dissatisfaction, um, to feel uncertain. We don't know what life, all of life, is about. No one knows that, and don't don't buy into that if you think they do know it. Um, and and that that changes life. It's it becomes richer. Being able to engage in mystery and not know and follow these inklings and follow the these these energies that move passionately in us to go and explore and, and find and discover. That's, I think, our, the position to, our, this position to engage in life that way. So, um, uh, and by the way, it's also the reason why we can engage in life that way because we have this deep, grounded, internalized experience that we know that we're loved. And not just like... I don't mean love from like just parents, but there's this, there's this deep guttural love that lives at the core of us. We can call it divine, God, whatever, universal, um, but there is this loving presence that lives in us and allows us to engage in life that way. We no longer live in the world terrified of mystery, terrified of thinking we're going to do something wrong or screwing up, <clears throat> but we can boldly move through it not knowing what's going to happen. Um, so, uh, then once we experience this loss, we end up grieving it, which is when he talks about blessed are, are those that mourn, um, that they'll be comforted. Then, uh, this experience is we, we go through the grieving process of detaching from the things we've attached to that we've, um, that we've put so much meaning to, um, a, 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 a fabricated artificial meaning, um, as well as a, a loss of ourself, um, who we've known ourselves to be that are really just kind of a, a they're basically a mask, uh, presenting ourselves to the world, to people, and even to our own self that we have it all together. We're, 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 uh, you know, we're, um, you know, we're armored well for life. We're, uh, we're, we're, um, I can't think of the word, but anyway, but yeah, that we're, we're all pieced together. We have it all together. We're all buttoned up. We're, you know, we present ourselves this way, uh, but we present ourselves in this way to be acceptable to others, that we'd be accepted, we'd be loved, we'd be, um, we'd feel a sense of belonging. And so all of this shatters as unravels, um, and we, we come to this place in ourselves that, that, feels this loneliness and that we act out of this loneliness inside <clears throat> and this sense of isolation that we we are d- disconnected from life from the world around us but really it's 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 the very experience that lives inside of us that we must uh that we're invited 
to connect to again, to engage with, to feel. So this mourning process is about going into the pain, to the loneliness, grieving what we thought uh, was real and true, who we thought we were, um, shedding ourselves of the titles, uh, the degrees, the... um, the masks, all of that, uh, um, taking those off and, uh, and, and touching that vulnerability once again in ourselves. <clears throat> and so, uh, so I'll touch a little bit more on that in this episode, but that's, that's the, a little bit of the background is we're going through this loss, this losing, this emptying of what we've stuffed ourselves with, what we believe to be true um, and real to, again, to ascertain uh, a sense of belonging, of connection, um, of satisfaction, of, uh, of, of certainty. <clears throat> so that then brings, uh, it brings me to this next part, this next stage, and I, I call them stages. It's, you know, I think they become a part of us, but we also continue to evolve from it as well into the next, into the next. And so, um, so again, the whole beatitude thing I see is a conversion process or a transformation process in a way, or a metamorphosis of finding, of finding our true self. And, um, you'll probably hear that on repeat a lot for me now. Uh, so then, so then Jesus moves into this next piece, which he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the, the earth. Now I, I get the the more I talk about this, and the more um, I'm moving on to the other blessed uh, um, statements here. I uh, I love it. And by the way, I forgot to say that blessed um, blessed means you know like in a way it's like you know how rich, how content, how satisfied, how happy you are um, when you go through these experiences. And it's a it's um, a, a declaration, but it's also a, a in a way, kind of a benediction, or it's a blessing, or it's a, um, it's a validation that you're on the right path. Uh, this is the way, and and so and also, I also forgot to give the disclaimer that please listen to the previous two. I'm I'm doing these and posting these in in sequence, so um, so it it will uh, benefit you to listen to the other two. Um, in order to understand the next one. So they're all connected to each other. It's kind of contingent on the one prior. So he goes into this whole statement of he talks about blessed are the meek, and that these the meek, they'll um, inherit the earth. Now, that kind of leads me to this question of one, obviously, what does meek mean? And what does inherit mean? But also, it also takes me back to this experience of mourning and grief. Like, what's, why does this happen? You know, what, what, I know in a way why it happens, but like, what's the point? What's the purpose? What is it moving to? What, what develops in us? What shapes us as we grieve um, the loss of, um, of kind of, of this false existence, uh, this, this false kind of belief system, this false way of living in the world, this, or artificial, I guess, I guess I should say. And losing the objects of attachment. What like what's the point? Because grief is not no emotion is arbitrary. 
even if you don't know what the meaning is, but this whole state of grief, it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's not shallow. It's, it's not surface. It, it, we go into the, the depths of ourselves. It pierces our heart beyond anything. You know, and um, we, we feel this sort of drowning as this pain consumes us. Um, it saturates everything. It colors everything. And so as, as I uh, phrase this grieving process as kind of this purging, right, this detoxification, um, you know, where, where, does this, where does it take me? Where does it take us? Right? So it starts with facing this reality that we've lived in this illusion of manufacturing objects to feel satisfied, feel connected, but then it's followed by this mourning as a result of this awakening, which is all on this path to finding our true self, um, then what follows this all-consuming pain, this deluge of, of sorrow, sadness, mourning? Now, for a moment, think about your own grief, right? which I'm sure you've experienced throughout your life here and there. Now, when we're in the throes of it, all we can do is fixate on the hurt. That's all we can do. There's this hyper-focus in a way on, a, on an emotional level. But it's kind of a hyper-focus that's not, not too different than one that we feel on a, f- a physiological level. So like, for instance, imagine striking, I like this analogy. Um, I used this to help me with my own grief experience um, when I went through a breakup. Like imagine striking your thumb, you know, with, with, with this blunt force of a, of a hammer. You know, you're nailing something down and you miss the nail, which is pretty common, and you strike your thumb. And how awful that pain is. I mean, immediately, you're, it's like your whole body, your whole soul writhes, uh, floods with the signals of this pain. And it's all, uh, it's all coming out of, this, uh, out of this one little appendage, you know, this throbbing appendage on our hand. And the only objective that's important to us at the time is to attend to the pain, is to shut off the rest of the world, all the periphery, and search for anything that's going to mend this, that's going to reduce the wound, the hurt of the wound. And so this kind of attendance and care when we're going through grief, it, 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 it happens. Um, it, it happens when we're, we're engulfed with a deep, visceral, emotional, psychological pain. The kind of pain that's traveled with us for years. It's connected to loss. So once we uh, traveled and searched in desperation far and wide in external dimensions for solace and repair of this, inside now we're in contact with the wound ourselves. We go into the hurt that's haunted us. And all we can do is just feel it. I, I, I mentioned last time that there was a moment um, where in, in this group setting I was in, I just felt myself start to sink and I could feel this deep, deep subterraneous pain hit me. It was such a deep, uh, young, early uh, wounding coming up in me and I went home and I just wept. I wept by myself for, for like at least half an hour off and on. Um, and, and so, you know, so this is, this is what we go through when we grieve. It's, it just takes over our whole being. 
and uh, we convulse with it, right? We almost, it's almost like we, there's this, uh, the way our body contracts when we vomit. It's like that, only on an emotional level. And so now we're going through this, the, the harrowing experience of purging loss. And, and we can do it, all we can do is focus. Now, on, on the pain. So, but have you ever noticed what happens after you embrace the, the, the tumultuous storms of grief? Have you ever noticed that what happens, what I've noticed in myself is there's this, this tranquility arises. There's a, there's a peace that takes over. It's fascinating that here I fight this pain so much in myself, and then when I, when I open myself up to let it just come out of me, come up in me and come out of me, um, I, I'm immediately overcome with this like softening, um, this tenderness comes over. I, I feel a, a rest, um, and it, and it's one that I would say almost it, it like recalibrates me. It centers me to myself to this current space and time. You know, so going through this, uh, these detoxification, this existential detoxification. I li- I like these words. Um, this this going through this purging, right, from the pollutions that consumed us of this artificial object, um, you know, attachment object, or unmasking and unraveling this this forged self we made to present to others. We find ourselves now infused with this kind of grounded, grounding-like feeling. It's, it's as though we... I would say we like stopped protesting a return to our past, looking at our past or or relentlessly premeditating the future so we can feel safe. You know, to to and to avoid our history. And instead now we find ourselves uh in existence as it is, as it's happening now. And allowing everything that's suppressed to surface, bringing us into this current moment as it is. And that's what starts to happen. And, and, and so Jesus, it's almost like, you know, he appears to imply that in committing to this path, to this, and, and feeling this penetrating, this excruciating, penetrating experience of loss and me, of meaning and the fabricated connections that we've strenuously worked for, or tried to feel connected, it leads one into the state, as he would say, meekness. And in the church that I grew up in, it's, you know, meek is this, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's so emphasized as gentle, but there's, it's so much more to that. Meek is, well, I'll get to it, but it's, oh, it's this meaty, earthy experience of, uh, of this place of being. So this meekness then inhabits us. It, 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 it surfaces in us in the aftermath of grieving. And I like to, I liken it to, um, you know, like when water, when the, you know, when the waters, like the, the rough waters um, smooth over a rough, jagged stone or rock, um, it, it, 
it, it, there's almost this experience that happens on a heart level where all the, uh, where we're cleansed of the toxicities and there's the softening in our heart, the smoothing out of the emotional cleansing, right? Connected to this deep historical loss. It's, it, to me, it's as if like the tears and the weeping and the rage that accompanies grief that manifests out of grief, it, it transfigures the heart. It prepares the heart for what's next. Like I said, there's this recalibration. So the grieving process is this unraveling. It's this loosening of the attachments made and the meaning, really, we've imbued upon them. And it includes, right, the masks, the personas. I'm, I know this is on repeat, but it, it's, it includes these, these masks we put on, these personas, these altered personalities, these facades to feel connected, to, you know, and to, to emulate these artificial connections even through objects. But underneath all of this, this masquerade are these unbearable experiences of feeling lost, lonely, vulnerable, dissatisfied. Right? And all along, we felt this hunger inside, this hunger. Right? So when, when um, you'll, if you read the scriptures, you'll, you'll hear lust. And we often see it as such a negative thing, but lust, or sometimes what people might coin addiction or compulsive habit, to me is just hunger. It's hunger. There's such a stirring inside, a craving to feel alive. And so this hunger that's so inseparable to us, to feel alive, connected, grounded, it, um, um, merged into our, our uh, uh, not just merged, solid in our genuine self, right? It, you know, that it's inseparable from our humanity. That we that have this hunger to experience connection on both an outer and inner level and this hunger though that has often been so it's often been so ravaged by shame judgment other wounding from our loved ones that really has left us feeling so disconnected inside from ourselves from others and then consequently it then primes us to search in desperation for connection safety to feel satisfied and whole and all the while it just buries this pain this ache underneath covered over by our frantic attempts to achieve these feelings that really, uh, again, the paradox is to go into that pain, to find what it is that we're really wanting. So again, grieving happens when we encounter reality of the loneliness we think we've hidden, but really is blatantly displayed through our consumptive efforts to fill the gap. And so grief allows us to return to this loneliness and to return to a state of vulnerability. And that's what I see as meekness. That meekness is it's a tendering, a softening of our heart, of our state. That, the, that when we wash away the dirt and grime of whatever veneers we've created, we, return to, we begin to return to our true selves, this, this vulnerability once again. A vulnerability that's inextricable. To, to our humanity, to our personhood. And in this state of vulnerability, we're now open, we're teachable, we're malleable, we're gentle. But also I want I to clarify too that gentleness, this is not, it doesn't mean passive. That's not to be confused with passivity. Where we just, you know, we don't engage, we don't partake, we don't address things in life. No, absolutely not. 
And gentleness doesn't have to do with that. It's not a, you know, it doesn't have to do with a lack of anger or strength or boldness or courageousness. It's, um, or courage. It's, it's, it actually, how I see gentle is it, it implies that we're not, we're no longer guarded. We're not hidden behind self-protective mechanisms, barriers that cover over who we are. We're not primed by hostility or, you know, ready, like on the prowl or, um, you know, just towing the line, hypervigilant, ready to assault or maim anyone who, you know, to shield ourselves from getting hurt. And the reality is that someone that's, that now enters into this vulnerable, meek state, um, they don't use anger to protect. They use anger to actually to connect. And rather, it's, it, they see it as it's essential, it's necessary. It's all, it's a part of love, hate, rage, anger. It's, they're, they're not in, op, they're not in, separate from each other. They're, they're not um, in opposition to each other. We think they are, but they're not. They're actually the indicators of the desire and, and the um, malnutrition of love, of connection, of care. Of that kind of those connected experiences, so one who begins to engage in this in themselves, it's it's knows that anger is not it's not this negative, bad feeling. It's 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 intense, but it's essential and necessary. It's again, it's it's inseparable from our humanity, and it teaches us something profound about our human connection, on an individual individual and an interpersonal level. So for me, I think gentleness, what that means is that it's, it's, we've just ventured back to our vulnerable self. We've emptied all the impediments that have impacted living out of this authentic and this intrinsic state. <laughs> and so meekness partners with these previous stages of the journey. And it follows, again, this painful maelstrom of changing ourself. And it's essential for what follows. It's um, because I think one must return to the state, shedding all the artificial layers to find to find our 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 genuine, real, honest self, and also to know truly the way we want to live and the way we want to love in the world what we want to bring into the world, express in the world, create in the world. Um, and so meek, for me, it's, it's, the meek uh, is it's so powerful. It's earthy. There's such an earthy feel. We return almost, it's like you return to the soil. If you think about like when, you know, I, I love that when I used to work, uh, or I, I built some raised beds at my house and, um, you know, and I would till the soil and you'd smell the soil and you'd feel it in your hands. And it was, there was something so, uh, peaceful about it. And that's what I mean. Like meek, this meek disposition, disposition is, it's, it's so earthy. It's grounded in reality. It's where one's presently attuned, engaged with life as it happens. And as it happens in them, meaning these movements, these stirrings, to go, to seek, to wait, to speak, to create, to love, whatever. So for me, I see the meek as becoming grounded in reality, open to move, participate in, impact 
in the ever-evolving narrative of life. And that's what I think when Jesus talks about the that those that are meek will inherit life, inherent, inherit life, um, that it's those that, I believe, receive life in its fullness and beauty and meaning. They're, they can enjoy it fully, truly, indulge in life, free of desperation, of urgency, of, I got to have this, I got to do this, I need to take care of this, I got to do this now. They're, they don't live in that way. They're not you know, imprisoned by impulse to consume, to feel satisfied, but they live deeply satisfied within because they know that everything they have is now. They're not attached to anything external in that sense. They're not, they don't look that I have to sustain love and be loved. And no, it, it, it actually, I know it sounds weird, and I'm still working this out in myself, but it doesn't matter whether they're actually loved or not. Because they, they carry that love deep within. They don't look for another people. Sure, it would be beautiful to love it, but it's not, they don't live a life contingent on getting people to love them. Because they have everything now at the core, at the center of them and not in some object form. So they embrace, the meek embrace all of life in the present, including the pleasures and the pains. And they know, they, they, they know that existence is meaningful, it's sacred. So that's what I mean when earthy, it's they're connected again to life, to the present. And, they're, and that kind of connection happens when we actually connect to ourselves. And that's what I that's what I do even in therapy is like the whole point is to be genuine with people. It's to listen to what's going on in me that are signals that something's happening in the interpersonal realm and in the other person. Sometimes I'll have clients that are highly anxious clients and I start feeling anxious even before they come to the room. But that's what I mean is there's this groundedness, there's this connect, I'm attuned, I'm aware of the stirrings of these signals that are happening in me and I can share it. And I can share, I can give an honest, my honest experiential uh, reaction to them, to help them understand even themselves, to begin to venture into learning about themselves, to begin to connect to themselves. I can't force them to connect. All I can do is invite a more honest, rich, full connection to help them find, uh, offer that in a way um, by sharing that in myself of what's happening in me that they can then begin connecting to themselves. So that's what I that's what I start to see meek as. And I and I love it. I love this one. I love um I don't know. This is just this is one of those fun ones for me that that um you know meek is is there's so much more to it than what I've taught or what I've been taught. And um anyway, so I I I'm anyway, I'm excited. I love I this Again, this is a fun one. So, um, I think on that note, I think I'm done. And stay tuned for the uh, for the next uh, sequence, the next part of the sequence there. So, uh, that's all for now, and take care.